Hello, and welcome to Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We are going to hear stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine, here. I am here with Matt Schaefer. And if you have at all been curious about how do we get interstate licensure, meaning if I'm licensed in my state as a social worker, how can I use that same license in another state without having to go through this entire massive process that each state has on? And I know for those of you on the East Coast, this is especially applicable because you're so close together that interstate licensure just makes sense for a lot of us. So I am grateful that Matt Schaefer, who is the Deputy Program Director of the Council of State Government's Center of Innovation, he's here with us to talk about the work that he has been doing with a team of people from all over the country in the United States to see that we can get this accomplished. A little bit about Matthew, Matt, sorry, Matt, is that he serves in the National Center for Interstate Compacts, where he manages development of licensure compacts for all sorts of different industries, such as teaching, cosmetology, and yes, social work. He supports the legislative enactments of licensure compacts for counseling, speech therapy, speech language pathology, and he's earned a master's degree in public administration from the University of Kentucky. Thank you so much for being here, Matt. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so glad to to have you here. So can you just give us a brief overview of what is the social work compact, like if somebody has never heard of this before, how would you explain this to them? Sure. So interstate compacts are essentially like legal contracts between states. So just as you and I can enter into contractual relationships with uh, a company or another private entity, states can actually enter into uh, legally binding agreements with one another, and these things are called compacts. And over the course of about the past decade or so, a lot of professions have been turning towards interstate compacts to solve their problems around professional mobility. So the very first compact out there was the Nurse Licensure Compact that has 41 member states. Most of the compacts that exist right now are in the healthcare space. So nursing, medicine, PT, OT, all of the different therapies out there. And recently we uh, started engaging with social work. And so the goal of the social work compact is to essentially facilitate multi-state practice. So the most common example I think that resonates with people is it kind of is analogous to your driver's license. If you think about your driver's license, 
you have one license that's issued by your home state, your primary state of residence, but you can drive anywhere else you want across the country. If I'm in Kentucky, I'm driving across the border into Tennessee. I don't have to stop at the Tennessee border and get a Tennessee driver's license. My Kentucky driver's license is recognized by Tennessee. And so the, the concept is the same for the social work compact. You maintain one license and that authorizes you to practice in every other state that's a part of the compact. So if there's, let's say, 25 states in the compact, you just hold that one state issued license uh, from your home state and that gives you the ability to practice in all of those states that are in the compact without having to go through the licensure process. So in theory, it should be as seamless as, as your driver's license works. You could just go and use that one social work license in any of the other compact member states. And, and so that's the goal. And, and so we're really hoping to eliminate a lot of the barriers that arise from having to hold multiple licenses. You know, throughout the development process for the compact, we've heard of social workers who utilize uh, telepractice holding more than 20 or 30 state licenses at one time. And so this would really eliminate a lot of barriers uh, for those types of social workers who are looking to be mobile or maybe engaging in a lot of telepractice and working in many states at one time. Yes, yes, that's great. Yeah, there's so many different benefits that can come to this. And we'll dive into those in a little bit. But I'm curious, Matt, for you, what specifically is your role in all of this? Yeah, so at the Council of State Governments, like was said in the intro, we have a policy program called the National Center for Interstate Compacts. So we're really the only group out there that works on helping states uh, with these contractual agreements with one another. And so we've been involved. There's 15 compacts out there for professional licensing, including social work. CSG has been involved in drafting all of those compacts. And so really we are kind of the, the national expert on, on compacts. And so we, our role is essentially to be the nonpartisan neutral party that facilitates the development process. So we bring together all of the stakeholders from the profession together to create the framework for the compact, to actually put pen to paper on the language. We facilitated a public comment period where people could give us their feedback and input before the compact was finalized. And then now we work on the legislative side on uh, the enactment portion of the compact because uh, compacts have to be adopted in the legislature. They have to be legislatively enacted. So your state actually has to pass the bill into law. Uh, and so we work now a lot with uh, legislators answering their questions and uh, providing a legal analysis on uh, their particular compact bill that they're trying to get introduced. And so uh, we, we work on the development side, but then also we work with the legislature to try to get these compacts enacted in as many states as possible. That's awesome. That sounds great. And just to kind of translate this into social work terms, Matt, you're doing a lot of meso and macro work mixed with a little bit of micro because you are working individually with people, but you're also working with communities and groups and holding 
um, group sessions and public feedback, and then working on the macro level with legislators and policy, which I think is is really amazing. So thank you for sharing that information with us. Um, I want to talk about, we'll talk about the pros and cons of this, right? Like what is good about the compact? What is that going to do for the industry of social work? And also to what are the hard parts about it? Because you said in theory, it should work very simply, but we know that in social work and a lot of other industries, it's not very simple. So what, what does make it worth it, right? So where, what are the benefits of this and what are the challenges that we have to overcome? Um, you know, go from there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the primary benefit obviously is uh, making it easier for social workers to practice in multiple states simultaneously. So if you, like you mentioned, the example of those states in the Northeast, I think the uh, DC, Virginia, Maryland area is like a, a good case study. Uh, let's say you live in Virginia, but you wanna practice in DC and Maryland, the compact is a great way for you to just have to have one license in Virginia, but still be able to practice in other states that are around you if you're living near a state border. Uh, and then also the point I made previously about telepractice, obviously there's a lot of really significant benefits there. Um, I think there's benefits in continuity of care. This is a, a big point that we have heard continually throughout the development process for this compact. Let's say you're a social worker and you're seeing a client that moves or goes off to school um, they, they go to college or something in a different state, that social worker, if those two states are both in the compact, can still see that client in the other state where they move. So it, it's uh, increasing continuity of care. That person doesn't have to go and find, uh, you know, a, a different social worker to, to help them um, with, with their particular issue. They can still see that person that they've built up the rapport with over, you know, uh, their whole life maybe. So I, I think that's a really key uh, benefit for the social worker and then also for the general public receiving social work services. Uh, it also helps with uh, populations that are highly mobile. I haven't mentioned this up to this point, but all of this is being funded by the Department of Defense. So you can think about uh, military families that are highly mobile. They're moving every one to two years because of military basing decisions. And so the compact really helps them not to have to get relicensed every time they move because we've heard of so many social workers having to drop out of the workforce entirely because uh, they just move too often in, in especially uh, the military spouse population. So um those are just uh, a few benefits, you know, in terms of some of the, the challenges, you know, I, these things are built to last. And so they do take time and resources to develop. I'll, I'll use uh, an example some might be familiar with, with the counseling compact, kind of a profession related to social work. CSG has been working with the American Counseling Association for I think five years at this point, and their compact is still not yet operational. They're they're still trying to get everything stood up and formalized. So these things do take some time. So this isn't like an easy fix. That's just going to happen overnight. It's going to be a couple years to get this thing up and running uh, before social workers can actually use it and benefit from it. So that's kind of a caveat that I always I always give. These things are built to last for 50, 75 years but they, they do take some time and resources on the front end to really 
get everything uh, in place before uh, they're able to be utilized. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS Law and Ethics exam, the ASWB Master's or Clinical Licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now, bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, an introduction to suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. Definitely, definitely. And I think another benefit to having this implemented is just just addressing that workforce shortage around mental health needs, especially for those in rural communities, because a lot of times there's not a lot of therapists that people can go to. And so when seeking out telehealth services, especially if if I'm looking for a very unique skill set, it might not be available in my state. So being able to have access to other therapists outside of my state is going to be extremely beneficial in just supporting those folks, especially in rural communities. Um, it was interesting because, as you said, these things do take time. And part of what I've seen play out over the past year or so, right? I think that this has been kind of in the process for the past year and legislation has now entered in into 2023 is that in the past year, we have seen from our national licensing exam people, the ASWB, is that the exam is extremely skewed uh, and racially biased. And that's just the numbers that they have come out with. And so I know that having conversations with some national organizations and some state organizations, that they're really kind of leery about this compact because it specifically includes the passing of a national exam. Can you speak a little bit on that? Sure. So compacts are built on trust and ultimately this is a regulatory document so the regulatory boards actually issuing these licenses have to be comfortable that social workers have maintained a certain standard in order for them to to practice across state lines currently the only objective measure out there that all states agree on is the aswb exam I will say um, the compact is written in a way where it's broad enough that it could foresee potential changes in the future. 
So there's a lot of language in there, uh, you know, talking about uh, the national exam or a substantially equivalent competency assessment. So if in five years the, the states are looking at the, the, the social work licensing exam and saying, you know, this really isn't working for us, these outcomes are not something that we want to uh, continue, we want to look at alternative measures, alternative competency assessments, the compact doesn't dictate that the states have to require the ASWB exam forever. There is flexibility built in there for uh, to, to foresee potential changes in the future. So the compact is meant to capture this current moment in time while allowing the document to be flexible uh, in, in evergreen. So in this current moment in time, the majority of states are still requiring the ASWB exam, but that's not to say that in five or 10 years from now, uh, that's still the case. And, and if states really are looking at that, they, then the compact is not going to be irrelevant. It'll be able to be flexible uh, and evolve with those changes in the profession. Right. And I like the way that this has broken down as far as the process goes, because like you said, it is, I can see how it is designed to be evergreen because according to this fact sheet that you guys have on here, uh, the process or how this works, right? Like how does a social work license or compact work is you would get a degree as a social worker in your home state, and then you would be eligible for a license in your home state, whatever that looks like, right? So like you said, it gives flexibility for the states to define how they license their social workers. And then once that happens, then your home state will verify that the social worker meets the requirements. And then at that time, you can then apply to be included into the multi-state licensure agreement if your state has opted in. Is that generally how it's designed to work? Yeah, so you are applying for what is called a multi-state license. So if you're a brand new social worker out of school, you'll go to your licensing board and apply and you'll be able to pick, do you want the regular single state license? Let's use my state of Kentucky as an example. Do you want the Kentucky license or do you want the multi-state compact license? And if you plan on working across state lines, working in multiple states, then you're gonna choose the, the multi-state compact license rather than just the Kentucky license that would limit your practice only to one state. Got it. That makes sense. Okay, great. And yeah, it's just so interesting to see how this unfolds because I've heard the CEO of NASW, Anthony E. Street, talk about how this is top of their radar. Like this is a priority for the national organization to figure this out. And they don't want to de-license the profession, but they are looking at alternate ways of, of maybe like of the exam, maybe, you know, what do we do about the exam? Right. So they are asking these questions and having these conversations, which I think is really, really important and timely. Uh, so let me see. I think we've covered most everything, except one of the most important things is what do we do if we want to see this passed in our own state? Because right now there's not very many states that have this enacted, 
right now there's Missouri that has passed legislation and then there's what six other states that have legislation pending. So what do we do to help move this along and to get the ball rolling in our state? Yeah, great question. And I'll I'll start and just kind of clarify why there's only a few states on board so far. So we just finalized the language in February of 2023. Most of the legislative sessions had already gotten underway at that point, and we missed a lot of the filing deadlines. So we had uh, several bills introduced, but we just ran out of time this year. So it really wasn't a case of uh, legislators having a particular issue with the compact or objecting to it. It was really just a matter of time. And I do believe we'll probably have uh, one or two other states pass it before the end of the year. We have bills in Ohio and Wisconsin that are currently pending that are, are, are looking pretty promising. So, you know, if you're a social worker and you want to see this in your state, I think the best place to start is with your NASW state chapter. They're going to be the ones actually carrying the weight in terms of the advocacy. They're the ones that are able to hire lobbyists that are actually going to get this through. So making sure that your NASW chapter at the state level, your, your local state chapter, knows that you're supportive of the compact, that you're interested in seeing your state join. You know, So whatever that looks like, a, an email or a letter of some sort. I also think it is impactful for practitioners to write to their elected officials directly. And from my experience, legislators really resonate with personal stories. So if you have a personal story that you have been particularly impacted by the licensure process in a meaningful way, if, if there's been a lot of barriers to you practicing to the full extent that you want to, or if you've encountered barriers in moving, getting relicensed, having to get multiple licenses simultaneously, you know, sharing those stories with your elected officials, I think, goes a long way. So that's what I would encourage everybody to do. Write to your legislators, to your elected officials, and make sure your NASW chapter uh, is aware of the compact. I think uh, they, they all are at this point, uh, but make sure... Um, they know that you're supportive and see what their their plan is or their stance is on the compact. Thank you so much, Matt, for sharing that information with us. Definitely some actionable tips that we can take if we want to see this enacted in our own state. I thank you so much for being here and we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe and text this episode to a friend. If you want more, there are a few ways we can get to know each other and work together. First, definitely subscribe to the Friday resource email list. The link is in the show notes. And that's where you can learn more about the courses I offer, including clinical essentials, for the future therapist, and the Pulse Basics for medical social workers. I'll also be sending out occasional tips and resources and other happenings within the social work industry. And for all your clinical supervision needs, be sure to visit risedirectory.com 
This is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers, and we also provide free resources that you can use within your own clinical supervision. Lastly, if you have more individualized needs, I do offer coaching, individual consultations, and am available for public speaking engagements for social workers and change makers. Lastly, the boring legal stuff, but very important. The information in this podcast is not meant to be a supplement for therapy, professional advice, or clinical supervision. This content is provided as is solely for informational purposes. It is not legal, health, or safety advice. I am not advising you as a therapist. Organizations should engage their own experts to ensure any adoptive measures are compliant with applicable laws and standards in their jurisdictions. The opinions expressed by individuals or organizations are their own and do not reflect the views or opinions of Social Workers Rise or Catherine Moore. References to specific products or organizations do not constitute any endorsement or recommendations by Social Workers Rise.